they probably knew over the years that Ralph had passed over and over again on the idea of doing another Karate Kid related thing. You're taking a guy who every day he walks down the street, he's known as, you know, this character and, you know, the characters from his movies, but this is his most famous one. And, you know, he could ride off into the sunset happy, happily with that legacy. So to, to dig it back up, you know, it took a lot of convincing. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. All right, here we are. We're rolling. Uh, today, we are going to talk actually about a scripted show. I'm doing a couple scripted shows this season, and one of them is very exciting, very much near and dear to my heart, Uh probably because I think I was seven years old when this movie came out. So I'm just so directly in the sweet spot for, for what it is. And that show is Cobra Kai, uh, created by, co-created by John Hurwitz here on my left, uh, overseen by Dustin Davis at YouTube. This show had a very, very, very small margin for error. Uh, and it thread that needle like I think very few things have. And I'm just so honored and excited to be here at the YouTube offices in Beverly Hills, overlooking the Hollywood Hills here to my left, uh, with John and with Dustin. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. You got it. Also, my mom reminded me this podcast is actually over 50 years in the making. It is. uh, Because John's mother-in-law and my mom lived in the same dorm in college. So little shout out for Rutgers, you know, (laughs) for all you New Jersey listeners out there. So, um, so... Okay, we're going to start with John. Uh, as, as we start all these podcasts, which is the light bulb, right? Uh, what, is, what was the light bulb for, for Cobra Kai? I mean, obviously, sorry to now with my long-winded question, I'm sure you saw the movie many years ago, but the light bulb for this continuation for it, you know, sort of this current iteration of what Karate Kid and now Cobra Kai is. I think the light bulb moment was literally driving on sunset and seeing a billboard for Fuller House and seeing Kimmy Gibbler on a billboard and realizing that, you know, anything is possible when it comes to sort of old properties that, you know, you loved as a child. Because, you know, myself and my partners, uh, Hayden Schlossberg and Josh Heald, we're all old friends. We're friends for over 20 years and we all bonded over the Karate Kid movies. And in our early 20s, when we were living in LA, it was in the early 2000s, you know, a new, a special edition DVD came out for Karate Kid and we, you know, ate up all the special features. And in one of them, Billy Zapka, who plays Johnny Lawrence, was talking about how his approach to the role. And we were obsessed with Johnny back in the day. Let me just tell you like a weird nerd fact about me. When I was a freshman in college, I, you know, learned about how to make web pages and things like that. So I had one for the Mets because I was a huge Mets fan. And I had one for, you know, a group of friends that I had in high school and I had one dedicated to Billy Zapka as 80s asshole 
And it was something like I had like four web pages and one of them was literally dedicated to him. And it was just like because I thought there was something ridiculous about like the 80s bully and like he was the bully in many movies. And, you know, I, I used to have like back the to school, right? Back to school and like just one of the guys, just one of the guys, like it's so just one of the guys I saw so many times that I got a, I got like one of those fingerless gloves and would jokingly <laughs> go around school like lifting lunch tables and like like for real. Like, so you were is, cool. I was one of, I was one of the cool kids. This is what the cool kids did at school. I like to pretend like I was an 80s cool kid when I was in high school but you know uh, when we when we uh, were watching that DVD and saw the special features and Billy's talking about how in his mind Johnny Lawrence was not a villain Johnny Lawrence was just a kid also in a high school who had his own life going on and was trying to turn over a new leaf and this you know punk kid from Jersey moves to town and you know steals his girl and and you know he, he's going through the emotional turmoil of that and he had his whole o- own side to that story you know when he was acting in that movie and you know it really back then set you know Hayden Josh and I to really start talking in depth about how fascinating that was because we saw him as more or less a two-dimensional bully and even though you saw the glimpses in that movie you're not internalizing that especially when you're a kid um and uh, so even back then we started talking about like we should make a movie, uh, uh, you know, a, a movie called Cobra Kai and do it from John, Johnny's perspective. But like it didn't feel realistic. We're all we were all guys in the film business like to get a movie starring, you know, actors who were not tri- not starring on movie who were not on movie posters and on billboards around town. That doesn't happen in the studio system. And so we didn't think that was realistic. And. But it was seeing Kimmy Gibbler on a billboard, and and most and the three of us, we spend a lot of time not we watch more sort of long form television these days than we watch movies, and uh, it was seeing that billboard. We're like, what if we did Cobra Kai, but as a TV show, as a as a streaming service type show? And from that moment on, we were like, a single focus on okay, how do we chase this down and make this happen? Okay, so to share some of your credits, right? You know, Harold Kumar, American Pie franchise, most recently Blockers. I mean, you've had a lot of success in the movie business. Uh, to take on a television show, I mean, is the industry in a place right now where you can just go back and forth like that? I mean, to write something or create something on spec versus I'm sure you have a pretty nice fee for, you know, coming up with projects of your own. Like, was there that kind of a conversation yeah, going on? You like, know, it's one of those things that, like, you know, I we've we've dabbled in TV like development on and off we've written some pilots we made a Harold and Kumar animated show pilot so we had done a little bit of that stuff but TV really caught up to a place of what we always wanted to do I remember taking my very first TV meeting um, like you know we had sold we had sold Harold and Kumar and you know that that had just been made and it was like oh I was introduced to a TV agent I was like okay well what do you got and all of our ideas were long form. Everything that we had in comedy was like, we wanted to tell like a longer story. And at the time they were just like, no, that's not, no one's interested in that. Like they want like 30 minutes. They want it in and out. You want to be able to like have these episodes that don't, you don't, you don't have to watch, you know, the early episodes to get it later on. And we found it less interesting back then. And then sort of the world sort of has become this thing where you're making these long movies, which is it's a similar kind of experience uh, to make a show like Cobra Kai and to make movies. So making, you know, this transition was like, okay, like to be able to have five hours to tell a story with these characters instead of, say, two or an hour and a half in a movie, it was really appealing. Okay, so you make the decision you're going to dive in, you're going to do this. What, what next? I mean, you obviously have an agent, you have credits, you have this, that, the other. You can get the meetings, but 
you're not just going to roll into Sony or I know it was Will Smith's company, right? And just say, oh, we want to do this. Well, the first the first thing was we we called our agent. We said, okay, who has the rights to uh, Karate Kid? We found out it was Will Smith's company, Overbrook, that controls the, the bulk of the rights. Uh, and we said, okay, we got to get a meeting over there. And then Hayden, Josh, and I sort of put everything else aside that we were working on at that time. And we were laser focused on th- fleshing out a really interesting story that we thought was unique and fresh and that – uh, you know, would get the attention of the execs over there. And, you know, going to Will Smith's company, you, I mean, you don't know what their reaction is going to be because they made the remake with Jaden and you've heard rumors that they were planning another movie with him. And, you know, our big thing was like, oh, we got to convince them that like you can have the movie universe, but like you can also have a TV show like, you know, any of the superhero properties that that's, you know, Marvel and DC, they do that type of stuff all the time. So that was sort of just our, our general focus. And we were met with Caleb Pinkett, who is a massive Karate Kid fan. Like he knows those original movies as well as we do. Like he and uh, I remember just sitting there and we pitched him in depth for like 40 minutes. We're telling him all the ins and outs and all the storylines. And he's sort of sitting there and he's smiling and enjoying it the whole time. And then when we finish, he goes like stream of conscious style. He's like, I love this moment. I love this moment. This I love. And here's what we could do with this. And he was basically just brainstorming. And it, I always joke with him. I feel like he has a photographic memory or something because he remembered like I, you drop like a minor character name like five minutes into the pitch. And then like 45 minutes later, he's dropping it back to us by name instead of being like, oh, like, you know, this person's mom or something. He he was on it and laser focused. And we had a we had an advocate that day who was just like, we're going to do this over here. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock down whatever doors I need to on this side. He's like, then let's go into Sony. So we refined the pitch even further, went into Sony, pitched it to those guys over there, and their big thing was like, okay, like, are you gonna get, like, you need to get Ralph and Billy on board. So then we we knew Billy a little bit over the years. Josh worked on Hot Tub Time Machine with him, and Hayden and I had met him as well. And so that was an easy meeting, and then it was getting Ralph. So uh, you know, it was these are the moments that like. You you need to, you know, if you're really believing in something, you know, we had to fly to New York for Ralph. And I'll just be frank here, like Sony didn't fly us out there. They were just like, you know, go get them because they they I think they viewed they probably knew over the years that Ralph had passed over and over again on the idea of doing another Karate Kid related thing. And they're like, OK, if these guys want to, you know, fly themselves out there and they could get Ralph, then why not? So. You know, we we sucked it up and we we threw put our money where our mouth was. We flew ourselves to New York and we ended up having a four hour lunch with Ralph, where we were convincing Did him. Did you eat twice? Or? Uh, I, no, we we should have eaten twice during that <laughs> that thing. But uh, we we talked in depth with with uh, with him about every single thing because this was you're taking a guy who every day he walks down the street he's known as you know this character and you know the characters from his movies, but this is his most famous one. And, you know, he could ride off into the sunset happy, happily with that legacy. So to, to dig it back up, you know, it took a lot of convincing. And, you know, once we got Ralph on board, then it was uh, planning the pitch to meet guys like Dustin. Sure. But that's the reality of producing, right? I mean, yeah. you could be a writer with Hayden and take assignments from people probably for the rest of your career. Sure. But if you want to own your properties and go with the things that you're most passionate about, you're going to have to make these speculative bets, I would imagine. Exactly. You have to chase it down. Like, you know, beyond that was like before we went to pitch around town, you know, Hayden, Josh and I invested in a sizzle reel. Like, you know, we hired a, a really talented editor who we knew to uh, to help us put together sort of like a three minute 
trailer for what the show would be having not shot the show yet. So we had to, you know, cobble together footage of the stuff that Billy and Ralph have done over the last bunch of years, some of them like music videos or funny or die videos or independent films, because, uh, you know, you're, you're just looking for any moment that you could slip in there amongst, you know, uh, clips from other movies, you know, and, and, uh, and other TV shows that are just going to sort of tell this new story. Uh, because, you know, we wanted to go in when we were going around town, guns a blazing and our, our goal was to find a partner who was looking to make a full season of this immediately so we could just dive in. Okay, so Dustin, you went to the picture. You see this pitch pop up on your calendar. Well, yeah, no, you know, I had been at YouTube maybe around a year and, and I had come over as head of current, but I had just kind of transitioned to start doing development. And I knew we, you know, we were still looking for like a big tentpole show. You know, we had been doing a lot of stuff with homegrown YouTube stars and we'll continue to do that with like the ones who we feel, uh, you know, are really talented and, and we'll continue to work with those. But I, I remember I'd actually worked with the Sony folks when I, in my previous job at ABC on a show called Happy Endings. And uh, Lauren Moffat, who I know really well, she actually tipped me off. She's like, this one's good. Like, you need to pay it, sit up and pay attention. Cobra Kai's coming in. Like, get your boss in the room. Like, let's let's do this because it's really good. She just knew it. And uh, and Glenn Adelman, who I know also, also we, like called and he's like, this is this is really special. So I think we were the first pitch, right? Yep. And uh, and I knew I, I went to my boss, Suzanne Daniels. I was like, I want you to be in this because I wanted to get her invested in it. And I was like, and and this could be big for us. I knew that, you know, it comes with this IP, this beloved thing. Every guy like John and I loves this movie, grew up with the movie. So I knew we needed it, it was like for us as a new platform, we needed to kind of like have something as a calling card. It's like this could be a really thing to hook people in. People know it. The awareness levels are there. Like people know this. So so uh, it was a leap of faith. So I got, uh, they came in, they pitched us. It was a huge room. It was Glenn and Lauren from Sony. It was Ralph and Billy were in the room, which was, you know, surreal, to say the least. And these guys, that tone tape that John was talking about, the three-minute sizzle tape, was everything. I mean, they just, you know, you push play, you got a real feeling of the show. And I think they laid out at least two seasons of stuff. You know, we just kind of knew, I think, in the room. And Suzanne, I, I, to her credit, you know, went from them pitching us to us pitching them, saying, like, you know, we should be the home for this show. This is the perfect show for the Internet. I mean, this this platform, YouTube, is massive. It's a global pl- platform, over a billion people, you know, every day, I think, something like that. So I, I think we knew that this was – we had the platform for it, and this could be a perfect show to kind of, like – open the door for us and uh which it's which it has which is great uh so yeah they came in they pitched us the show um and then you know then they went out and pitched everywhere else and i was like i can't lose this thing like we have to do this and so there was a lot of behind the scenes you know calls to caa like we need this you know please let us have this i think we were if i'm not wrong the only ones who said like we're going to just commit to a series without a script that that was the big thing like you know first of all going into that meeting and and you know we've said this before that you know when you when you're setting up your pitch meetings there's the the early meetings are often like semi-practice type things. You can say uh, yeah, it. YouTube was a practice YouTube pitch. YouTube was a little bit of a practice pitch, but it was one of those things where I remember going in being like, I've heard that they're looking to, and that they've started moving beyond the YouTube star stuff. Like we're friends with Ross and Thurber. We knew that he had a show going over there. And, uh, you know, we have other, uh, 
you know, we, we paid enough attention to know that it was heading sort of in, in a direction where it's beyond the YouTube stars. But, you know, you don't really know exactly until you you go in there. And we walked in and I remember the first impression that we had was they rolled deep. They had like six people. Well, you brought Ralph yeah. and Billy. Everyone yeah. from everyone. everyone was yeah, everyone wanted join. to be in that room, yeah. I guess, at YouTube. But, you know, they had, you know, six or seven people in the room. And, you know, Suzanne's there. And we just knew that they were that they were serious about this or, or this group of people. They're not going to take their time uh, for this moment. And you just saw the look on, on everyone's face and how much they got it. And. And uh, Suzanne, you know, we could feel her as we're making our way through the pitch, wanting us to finish so that she could convince us to go there. And it was good because she was like having like sidebar conversations with Glenn Edelman from Sony. Like I see them like they're already sort of like starting to negotiate. It felt like while we were still pitching. And then, uh, yeah, they were just like, yeah, just set up out back and just like, okay, get get going. Just get moving on the show. Let's just move into production. And there was something very exciting about the passion that they had, the belief that they had, you know, for Hayden, Josh and I, you know, we, you know, we have had successful careers, but in the feature world, doing hard R-rated comedy. And we were coming in saying, we're doing a continuation of the Karate Kid franchise that doesn't lean into what we're known for. It's like, you know, we're, we're going to, we want this to be a true continuation. We want, you know, people of all ages to be able to enjoy the show. You know, you've seen plenty of Karate Kid parody and comedy over the years. Like, we're not doing that. Like, this has to be sincere and there have to be goosebump moments and all these things, things that, you know, uh, YouTube immediately was willing to take the leap of faith. Uh, they- that's what I was going to say. This was a total leap of faith. Like, we we just trusted these guys. And, and again, I'll go back to that, that sizzle tape that these guys put together, which I hope people get a chance to see sometime because it really – Tone is so hard, you know, it's like hard to say. It's all in the execution. This thing, as you referenced earlier, the margin for error was off the charts. Like, you know, there's so many ways to get this wrong. And so we had to just kind of take a bet on the property. You know, we did have the benefit. I mean, I, I, I think we've said this before that, you know, over a billion hours of Karate Kid stuff had been viewed on YouTube. I think that was, you know, we kind of used that stat internally to to say like, hey, there's there's an audience here. But that was only because we really loved it. It's like we were just building a case to 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 go to series on it internally. But yeah, th- these guys, you know, just came in and they sold us on the vision. And 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 I think, you know, with their credits, I think there was an expectation some, somewhere along the line, like this is going to be the 21 Jump Street version, which was great. But it was like, I think with this property, like you just, people hold it so close and like it, you can't screw this up. And so I think people even like, seeing the, the first trailers and stuff coming out, we're like, I don't know about this. I just don't know. And it's only after watching that you kind of get what they were going for. Yeah, it was, you know, I remember just pitching it around town and there was a ton of interest uh, all over the place. But, you know, some of like the key players who were very passionate also rolled deep, also had like their top dogs in the room, you know, were and calling also like aggressively they, you know, maybe had a policy of like, you need to see a script of some sort before, you know, uh, uh, before sort of taking on such a big, uh, big commitment, like a full season commitment. And, you know, the crazy thing that was going on was, you know, while negotiating, the negotiations went on for like a couple months, four months, it it was a while, it was a long time. And in that time, Josh Hayden and I kind of knew that the show was going to happen somewhere. So we actually wrote like two, we had already finished writing two or, and we were in our third episode of writing the show when no deals were done. And, you know, we started to, word started to maybe get out that maybe we had written some scripts and like some of these other places were like, 
like we will green light the show just show us the script so that we can see that the tone is what you're saying it is because we believe that but like we'd really like to see that and we just were unwilling to do that like we felt like there was a good uh, vibe and energy and good faith situation going on with with the team over at youtube and that it didn't feel right to us to like in the 11th hour like show actual scripts to other places uh, I, I remember, I think this is what put it over the edge, if we're being honest. The day of the pitch, I got your email addresses and I sent you a picture of me and my karate gi from when I was a kid. <laughs> no, I was, I just, I, I had a good feeling about it, as you can tell. And, and the guys came in and just sold us everyone here. And we were like, we have to put all our eggs in this basket. You know, the, and, and, you know, I think it's, and obviously it's paid off. And, I, and I'm excited about some of the stuff we have coming. But I think this show helps us kind of like, the, the consumers and the audience see us in a different way, and I think it's only going to open more doors. So, yeah, it, it was really exciting. Had you ever been a part of, a, with any of your movie spec projects, this type of a bidding war, multiple interest, or has that not really been you know, I, we've had the case mul- for you? We've had multiple interest on things over the years. Usually when we go out with something, there's several suitors, but this was like a... a, a the 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 green lighting five hours of content with nothing written was unheard of like that that was a thing that was sort of like okay uh, everyone in that room including like glenn edelman who's been in this business for a very long time he's never had a straight to series offer in the room and it was he was just stunned especially without a script yeah without a script he was just stunned by that whole thing and we all were and uh, that 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 showed a, a real clear commitment to us, and uh, we knew that we were working with people who who understood what we were talking about, understood what our vision was, and and had faith that we were going to execute that. I mean, I think it just speaks to how competitive the landscape is right now. When you know, and you talk about all those people making calls and trying to get this out from under us, like it's hard. It's hard to compete and get top projects especially when you're a new platform and people don't see us in that way as like a real you know a real tv platform uh, so i knew that it was like let's just be aggressive and let's just go for it or else we're going to lose it to you know other places who will just buy everything so. what is your process typically like I and mean, i'm sure you guys have a ton of development yeah Probably no we don't pick now. up stuff straight to series often i'll tell you that i mean it, it's only happened once or twice um you know normal traditional development a lot of times in, in coming in different ways. You know, we take a lot of pitches. We read a lot of like busted spec scripts. Like I said, we're still, you know, finding our brand and evolving as a brand. So we have to be open to a lot of different things. And so uh, some other stuff that's come in are, uh, are either busted specs, stuff that was set up elsewhere that got passed on, um, which Suzanne has made a career out of. You know, I think some of her shows going back to like Buffy and stuff were She's always open to things that have been passed on, developed elsewhere and passed on. She take a chance on that, and we have that spirit here. Uh, but yeah, we we do all kinds of development. It just depends on how it comes in. Right. Now let's talk about IP for a second. I know you guys both kind of mentioned that and how many hits this had on YouTube. I mean, that obviously helped as well. You've launched wholly original things. Now you've worked with a couple of major franchises with IP. I mean, do you think in today's landscape uh, that... I mean, you wouldn't have gotten this offer on something wholly original, I guess, is, is yeah, it, where it's I'm going. Ve- like, it's right. very tough. The only way that happens on something wholly original, perhaps, is you're, you're, you couldn't be hotter in the marketplace yourself. You have a star already attached who is meaningful. Um, usually you would have had to have written at least something at that point. And I could see 
that type of enthusiasm with that type of, you know, stars aligning, but that doesn't happen very often. So more often than not, you know, especially when you have like an original idea, you're, you know, pitching it around town and then somebody will, you know, pay you to write the script and then you're trying to like find actors. And in the feature space, it's just so hard because there's literally at any given time, there's like five actors in the comedy space that mean anything to the studios. Um, and and it, it, I remember when I first entered the business, it was starting to change where like, you know, really talented uh, executives at, at high levels can just say, you know what, I believe in this person. I'm going to invest $20 million in a movie starring them and another 20 in marketing. And it would just happen even though they didn't have sort of the track record. And now all those companies are owned by these much larger corporations. Everything is run through through machines. And it's like, OK, well, this the this actor means this and this actor means this. And, you know, for us, our attitude has always been like, especially in the in the comedy space, when you think in the feature world, like most of the movies that become classics are starring people who who are not stars yet. And they become stars through it. It's like Steve Carell, like had a fan base in the comedy community, but like was not a movie star and became one through 40 year old virgin Seth Rogen through knocked up, you know, it, and it happens over and over again. Um uh, so it's frust- the the feature space beca- became particularly frustrating at times for us. Like a movie like Blockers, you know, we 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 were developing that for like five or six years, and you know, putting together, you know, you'd have to you know write write the script and then find the per- those specific actors who are looking to do a movie uh, that uh, is a hard R rated kind of thing. Uh, you have the teenage characters, even though they were really important, they're not going to move the needle at the studio level, and you know, when you're doing R-rated comedy, most of the actors who were like 40-ish or 45-ish, the, the age that you're going to have parents, they were like – most of them have already kind of done that type of stuff and they're at a stage of their career where they're not like looking to do that again. So you can have a script that people are loving all over town and it's hard to find those pieces. And so, you know, that movie took like – us producing, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg producing, Kay Cannon coming on to direct, who created the Pitch Perfect franchise, you know, uh, and then it's like John Cena, like, had to audition for that. He was not meaningful enough to the studio at that point in time to to get it done. And, you know, Leslie Mann was meaningful to the studio. And Ike Barinholtz Universal had worked with several times and, you know, believed in. So it was like all of that got us our like $19 million budgeted movie, <laughs> you know, like, and that, that, that's how, how tough it is in the, uh, in the feature comedy space right now. TV has more opportunity than that. I think that's why you'll find a lot of filmmakers, especially in a world where like, oh, I could tell, I could do like a five hour movie or a 10 hour movie. And I don't have to rely on getting like X, Y, or Z star for it. I could just get somebody who's genuinely talented and right for the role. It's, it's, it's a good place to be. Does Harold and Kumar get made today? Harold and Kumar would be very hard to make in the feature space today. I mean, we've had a successful franchise and it would be tough to make a Harold and Kumar movie today. Like the fourth one, I think, can happen. But, you know, at this point, it's like, okay, well, Warner Brothers has X number of slots a year that they're going to throw movies out to. And Harold and Kumar has shown like a certain level of business that, you know, it's not blockbuster, it's not a $100 million box office, so... Are you saying you want to do a 10-hour Harold and Kumar movie? For I mean, YouTube, TV show? For YouTube? Yeah, for YouTube. I, you know what? Like it, uh, We think about that for Harold and Kumar. We think about that with American Pie because, you know, we're sort of the stewards of that ship now. Like, we think about those types of properties in, like, the, in the, in the streaming space because, you know, there's just more opportunity for it. So let's... Okay. 
you are you are the steward of the streaming space. Let's talk about some of the pitches that come through to you. I mean, obviously you went gaga for this one and for all the reasons that we've discussed here, but how much of that sort of pre-existing IP matters to you or being a YouTube star? You know, I mean, are you taking things that are no, I mean, it, we here? are a Google company, right? I think we we when it's available and when it's useful, we like to use data to help, you know, inform decisions. It's not everything. I think some people in, in the company, you know, it's like, you know, it's a clear thing. But I think for us who have worked in the TV business, it's not always like, you know, some people who are massive YouTube stars don't always translate to, to converting their audience to subscribers. So um, it's tricky. Are you buying things here that don't have some sort of pre-existing data? And sometimes you fall in love with material. We heard, you know, I, there's a project we're about to start shooting next week called Wayne. And and this came in as a spec script. And it's one of those things where you get a pile of stuff over the weekend and you read, you know, in this business, you are always reading things. And I, I read this thing and I put it down. You didn't have I, to read his. It was just a tape. True, true. Right, so that's the key. The Ralph Macchio and Billy's out. <laughs> uh, no, but I put it down. I was like, we have to do this. It was one of those things. It was just like, you know, undeniable. And, uh, and uh, an executive who works with me, Amanda, read it over the same weekend. We both had the same response. We came in on Monday morning. We were like, we have to do this. And we took it to Suzanne and she read it. It was like, yes, we have to do this. And no stars attached. You know, it was just a, a young writer who had, uh, you know, not not done a ton of stuff, especially on his own. Uh, they did have Warnick and Reese, the guys who wrote Deadpool, kind of supervising and very involved in it. But uh, so that was helpful. But they came in and were like, we, we made a pilot uh, last December and it's really good. And we're actually shooting the series right now. Uh, so that's kind of one way that came in. Right. That was just a busted spec that came in. But it's harder. It is harder. I feel like a lot of pitches are fewer and fewer, at least in my experience. And, and again, we're still seen as like the newer platform where we're not getting like the first, you know, hey, we Reese Witherspoon's taking out a project and she's, you know, I only want to go to HBO, Apple and Netflix or something like that. I, I, we're still earning our, our way to the table there. I think we've made strides there. I think Cobra Kai is definitely opening the door to be like, oh, you can launch a hit show that 40 million people watch uh, watch the pilot of. So I, I, I'm hoping that we'll start to like be seen in the same space. I think we've made strides. So um, I do feel like fewer people are pitching and they're like, let me just write this. Let me go and get, you know, we talk, you talk about talent in the, in the, on the movie side. It's similar in TV. I mean, you know, I, I've always said like TV makes stars and, and, you know, you think about historically, it's like Sopranos, no stars, Mad Men, no stars, uh, you know, Breaking Bad. It's all like they had some people, Atlanta, you know, Donald Glover, they were series regulars on shows, but then like they get the chance. And, and we'd love to find something like that where we're taking someone and we just believe in them, even though they're not a massive star. But but at the same token, it's like being YouTube, being this new platform, it would be helpful to have someone like someone who's a known entity come in and say like, look, yeah, I'm going to bet on YouTube as and take, you know, be an, you know, whatever A-list star come and do something here. I think it, it helps. It's not everything, though. Well, let's talk about working here at a streamer, right? Because this is the first interview I've done with any streaming services. So thank you for, you know, for agreeing to do on this. But you worked at ABC previously, correct? Right. Right. So when you talk about data and you talk about the process, I mean, are the processes, is the, is the process all that different here from, you know, a traditional network like ABC? I mean, you know, there are a lot of things that are similar and a lot that are different. You know, I think we at ABC, I worked in current programming, so I, I wasn't, you know, developing shows, but I, I was familiar with the process enough to know, you know, they would, you know, buy X number of scripts, they'd make 12 pilots on each comedy and drama every year, and then they'd pick up 
five or six shows um, on each side every year. And I know that like the the green light committees, like there there there's a version of it everywhere, right? It's just how they come to be. I know you know the screenings. We I remember it would be like the senior senior people would watch in one theater. All the kind of medium level people would watch, and all the assistants would watch, and they'd kind of compile feedback from each. And then once they were getting towards a green light, the rooms would get smaller and smaller. It's not that different here where we, you know, Suzanne and myself and the team kind of like say like, hey, this is the thing we want to go bet on. And then we have to go kind of whip the vote. We have to say, you know, Google, there are different, it's just different people. There, there's a product group who kind of the engineers and they manage the YouTube product. There's marketing, there's, uh, there's, business affairs there's all kinds of different things and you just kind of have to go to them and say hey we believe in this thing and here's why and i think you know initially when you haven't kind of launched anything that's that's um that's really struck a chord there there's a little less trust and and again i think you know you have to use more of that data once you have some success under your belt at least um, that's my hope moving forward (laughs) uh is that that they'll be like okay you know what there's a little more trust here uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to build, I think anywhere you're at, you have to build the case of why you think this will be successful. You know, it's it's harder here because everything has to be successful, right? Like at ABC or at, at a broadcast network, you you launch 12 things a year. And, and if two of them do well, that is a massive year for you. But here we just get fewer shots. Uh, or Netflix, you get a million shots. and But here we get fewer shots. So we try to be really careful and, and targeted in the things that we're placing our bets on. So Okay. The relationship between you two is clearly very affable. Awful. <laughs> awful was the other word yes, I was going to go for. No, it's, it's, yeah. We put on a, a good face, <laughs> a good public face. Now, sorry to keep bringing up your you know your movie background, but in that you sell something to an executive or you're commissioned by an executive, and it's a one-off kind of property. There be you know, maybe it turns into a franchise, but but maybe it doesn't. I mean, do you approach your relationship with someone like Dustin? Does it feel different? Then your you know your movie studio executives who when that you know oh premiere night I'm never going to talk to you again versus you know, it, this could it, be for decades well it, it's decades yeah, yeah <laughs> hopefully yes yeah. but no uh, you know it's similar and different you know like I think in in the feature business you you hope to work with sort of the same people that if you have a good experience with people then you're eager to get back in business with them if you have a mediocre experience with them then you're excited about looking elsewhere to uh, for where you could go. Um, and I think that I have plenty of executives in the film business who I love to this day. You know, I, I had lunch last Friday with uh, with one of the executives who made the the first Harold and Kumar with us because he's just a guy that I, I connected with and related to and have a similar sensibility to. And over the years, we've always stayed in touch. And there's several people that you you know pick up along the way. Uh, that you know you you hope that to have the opportunity to work with again what's fun uh with this with dustin is that you know we we've been through this everything's so accelerated on the show like we we started writing cobra kai at you know whenever it was sometime last summer like a year ago yeah it was about a year ago at this point and we we wrote 10 episodes we shot 10 episodes we edited 10 episodes they've come out and it's like, you know, over a month has gone by since and, you know, we're on to working on season two and it all happened very quickly. So we were like in constant communication um, 
it's only been a, pl- a positive experience. It's been a pleasure, and it's nice when people like the show uh, because, like, we're constantly like emailing each other, you know, fun little anecdotes of like, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, having whether it's you know you're dropping your kids off at school and a teacher comes over to you and th- and you didn't even know the teacher in the school, but they somehow found out that you're involved with Cobra Kai and they're like, oh, I loved Karate Kid growing up, and you hear that kind of story to people seeing, getting neck tattoos. Yeah, of your yeah, logo. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Dustin sent me a a, ta- a Cobra Kai tattoo that someone had freshly gotten. Um, to like seeing a tweet from like a filmmaker like Darren Aronofsky who you like respect like crazy and uh, you see that they're enjoying the show and you're like you, you know you 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 have someone fu- someone to share it with that uh, that uh, is as excited and is as invested in sort of the success of it. Well, let's talk about five or, you know, I guess more than five minutes ago but when you walked in here this morning and I saw Dustin introducing you to some people and I saw someone actually do the Wayne's World. We're not working. That might have been me, actually. <laughs> no, it is. It is. I was like, you haven't been here in a while, and, and it is nice walking in. Like, p- people are grateful here. People, you know, are appreciative that, that they did take a, a risk on coming here and, and, and doing the show with us, and then it turned out to be so successful. Um, yeah, there were there, people are very happy. No, it, it's nice. It's funny because we, we got these. Um, you know, we we got for the crew these like Cobra Kai hoodies um, that uh, I was wearing like crazy in post production everywhere I went because it's really comfortable and really cool. And I was trying to get the word out about the show. And now that like the show's out and people really love the show, I've stopped wearing it because now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> like I walk around because it's like my favorite thing to wear because it's like so it's so comfortable and cool looking. And now it's like you know I was wearing it one day. And I was on the Sony lot and, and like, uh, you know, some kid was just like, it was like an intern on the lot was just like, oh my God, that's an amazing jacket. I love this thing. I love Cobra Kai. It's so great. It's like, so, uh, you worked on the show. What did you do? I was like, uh, I created it. <laughs> and he was just like, like, he's like, like yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, stunned. I felt like it was one of those moments where you feel like you're like, uh, an athlete who's like wearing his own Jersey. <laughs> like, you know, it, you go to the mall and you're wearing your Jersey around. So like I've never experienced something like that before, where it's like I'm I'm far from a movie star. I'm like you know some particular very specific kind of comedy nerds who are my people. They they might know who I am, but like very few. And now it's one of these things where like you know it, it's this just wearing a Cobra Kai thing is just such like a people want to talk to you about it, and then. Now I, I come off so uncool for like wearing my own my own gear. Look what you unleashed I, on no, I know. Los Angeles. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, coming from the world of you know unscripted TV, and a lot of the people I've you know interviewed for this podcast, they in this relationship, what comes up are just all of the fires that they have to put out constantly, right? Because you're not going with the script, and there's so many legal issues, and it's you know it's just it'll make your it's not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of things that we were doing on the show that we were doing for the very first time. And and so, you know, we were navigating it together. And, and I just tried to be the advocate for them for in at YouTube. You know, I wanted to be their voice and make sure that they're, you know, that they got to weigh in on all the creative on like the trailers and the teasers and the key art and all that stuff. I wanted to make sure that that they had a seat at the table when it comes to that because it doesn't happen everywhere and and it just depends on where you are, who you're dealing with. But but I I just wanted to kind of be their inside person and and for them to feel like that it was in good hands here because, you know, I had in the back of my head like they could have taken this a lot of different places and I wanted to do right by them if that makes sense. No, it absolutely 
absolutely makes sense. And obviously, John, you're so lucky that you have that kind of yeah. advocate on. Part of that is being available at two in the morning. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, and Dustin, I, I how many uh, how many writers and producers do you work with that graduated from Wharton? <laughs> uh, just Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, well, he, I know too because Josh Hield and I both did, um, but uh, and we were classmates of Donald Trump Jr. But he's uh, he took it slightly. That is a fun path. fact. Yeah, fun fact about us. Not it's less and less fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun for a very time. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so this is you talked about Fuller House. You know, obviously this show great examples of reboots, right? There's been all over the TV landscape. American Idol's back. Roseanne was back, is not back. Top Gun 2, you know, is is coming out. Do you think that there will be um, any measure of fatigue? Or as long as they're executed like this, then it's, well, does it not matter? I think, you know, there's always going to be fatigue. There's always, gonna, you know, people that are going to try to overdo it. I mean, in my experience, if you look at the ones that have been successful and it goes back to Kimmy Gibbler on that billboard, it, it contains some element of the original cast. Like if you look at the ones that have worked, and not, all, not this isn't across the board, but just in recent memory, a lot of the ones have have, uh, have used some of the original cast from the original thing. And uh, and I think that, that there aren't that many that can be done that way. You know, uh, Top Gun obviously can, but uh, a lot of the reboots, you know, people have either moved on or they're not with us anymore. I, I think the thing, you know, is that you... If you fell in love with Karate Kid, you fell in love with the characters of Karate Kid. And I think like our you know, litmus test is always like, well, what do we want to see? And we wanted to see kind of what happened to Johnny and what happened to Daniel and, and build out that story. And that was something that if we were not making it and that came out, we'd be really excited to see it and hoping and praying that whoever was making it didn't screw it up, you know? And th- I think that's sort of a, a thing, you know, when, when it comes to reboots, it's like looking for, you know, whether it's a, a bringing back original cast or something really fresh and, and different about it. But it's all about execution. It's all about people f- feeling like they don't have uh, the, you know, a complete retread. Um, it's feeling like there's a connection to the warmth of, of, of something that's in your heart from childhood oftentimes. Um, but, uh, I, I think that there's opportunity, um, for the right reboot of, of anything, as long as it's the right version. Do you have a secret list somewhere of, uh, you know, your next five? (laughs) We have, we have a few things that we, that we think about things that, you know, some of it are things where you would take the characters from the past and some of them are reimaginings of, uh, of a property that's out there that, you know, you loved and feel like. The, like you look at the actors and you're like those actors I, I'm not so I was more invested in like this kind of a thing than I was with these particular actors or they're not in the right place to be doing this but I could tell a new fresh original story with all new characters well whatever you guys create next I can't wait to see well he's pretty tied up with Cobra Kai season <laughs> two right now yeah exactly and three and I did say decades so yes for, listen right? so. we we love making the show um you know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a twenty four hour a day, seven day a week job in a lot of ways because like you know we we write it, we direct it, we're involved in every sort of element of the show. Um, but you know, uh, it's something that we're we're enjoying doing and you know hope to get to do for a long time. Was going to golf and stuff the highlight? All right, well I'm gonna I'm gonna shatter the. I, I shouldn't. Okay, no. Uh, we did not shoot at golf and stuff. 
we we used uh, we we shot most of the show in Atlanta. We did shoot for a couple days out here in L.A. But we found a place in Atlanta that had a similar vibe to golf and stuff. And uh, we brought in certain games that we wanted to make sure that we that were using from sort of the original uh, movie. And we took the, at the begin at the beginning of that golf and stuff scene in Cobra Kai. Uh, you know, you see the sign spinning and that kind of thing. We just took that from the original movie and used the uh, effects to place it in our new location. Well, movie magic. Yeah, I, I yeah. But the okay. but, but what, it okay. was fun to shoot at Daniel's apartment building. That was real. Okay, that was Daniel's, right. old, Daniel's old apartment building was a really cool, a kind of iconic location because before we went to go shoot the show, you know, we had written a bunch of the episodes and we were like leaving for Atlanta in like a week or so. So uh, Hayden, Josh and I and our director of photography, Cameron, we, we drove around places in the valley to really just be thinking about like the look and have it really fresh in our heads. And we're like, hey, let's go like to where we had heard that Daniel's old building had been knocked down. So we're like, well, let's just go where it was. So we can, you know, see that area. And then we drove up and it's just there. The building was there. We're like, okay, well, we could write this into the show. And, and then it was did. cool being there that day. Ralph, you know, you could tell he was wistful about it, like coming back and being there. And, and it brought back a lot of memories. At least it appeared to me. It did. Yeah. No, he, 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 Ralph and Billy both like throughout the shoot, they were so collaborative and so enthusiastic. And they bought into sort of what we were doing. And th- there was a lot of like, emotional moments for them of like stepping back into these characters and you know that day I remember Ralph was very you know affected he's like I can't believe we're back here right now and it looks the same like the building has barely changed well just what I would expect from the people who brought you know butt chugging to the mainstream (laughs) listen you know you you gotta show your range every now and then in this business and butt chugging is definitely part of it (laughs) (laughs) amazing thank you both so much thanks for having us yes thanks So in my haste to finish this episode, I completely screwed up and forgot to ask my guests what, for many of you, is the most important question of all, which is advice to their younger selves. So I will now read email responses from Dustin and John, screwed up by me, to complete this episode. So first off from Dustin, and I quote, my easy answer is to not measure myself against my peers. Things happen for different people at different times, and I wouldn't be so concerned about things happening on a certain timeline. From John, he said, first off, that he loves Dustin's answer and that that would be his main advice to his younger self as well. But he would also add that he would tell young John that even the most talented and successful people in this business have their ups and downs. Just be you through it all and never stop putting in the work. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dustin. You guys are definitely putting in the work and you're making a great product. And I really appreciate you coming on this episode. So there you have it. The true story of Cobra Kai. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you to my guests, Dustin Davis and John Hurwitz, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>